You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Physicians ask, what do I need to do right now for this specific patient today to maintain health? Public policy advocates ask, what do we need to do in the future to ensure the health of our society? How do we reconcile these different viewpoints to become a healthier nation? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing generic drugs for new uses. And with me is former Colorado Governor Richard D. Lamb of the Center of Public Policy and Contemporary Issues at the University of Denver and author of Brave New World of Healthcare and Condition Critical, A New Moral Vision for Healthcare. Governor Lamb and I are discussing the differences between these two distinct viewpoints and the determinants of a healthy population versus a healthy patient. Governor Lamb, welcome to ReachMD. My great pleasure. Is there a difference between the views of health care from a public policy standpoint and those of a provider of care? I believe that there's a great difference between sort of the macro allocation in health care, which is what the public policy people do, and the micro allocation. Um, for 2,000 years, a, a doctor has been a patient advocate, and I think that's perfectly appropriate. But from a public policy standpoint, I at least argue that we have to ask the more cosmic question, how does public policy keep population healthy? So yes, the difference between treating a population and treating individuals is a very significant difference. So what do you think are the determinants of a healthy population? Well, there's a number of different um, things that other countries have looked at, but the important part to me is your question, not the answer. I believe that uh, every country ought to do an analysis of how do you keep a population healthy. When you look at um, a population, you find that there's a number of different correlations to health. Income is a correlation, education, occupation, even marital status, ethnicity. So there's lots of correlations to good health that need to be uh, explored and a lot of different alternative ways to bring health to a society. As a society, one correlation that doesn't appear to exist is how much we spend as a nation on health compared to how healthy we are as a nation. Is that true? That's very important. That There is no correlation between how much we spend in health care or a country spends in health care and the health of that society. Um, you could actually argue that there's almost a reverse correlation because the United States spends more in health care and yet our health outcomes are not as good. But I hasten to say that that's not because we don't have the best doctors and the best medical technology and the best hospitals. It's, I believe, because we at a public policy level haven't asked that larger question, how is it that you keep a population healthy? So what are some of the things that are currently taking place in the U.S. that drive those population health statistics down? We drive in America more miles. We use in America more guns. We uh, are the most overweight people on earth. So I think when you look at the reason we're not as healthy, it's the um, habits and the behavior of Americans. It's level of opulence that is the um, reason not to certainly that we don't have uh, brilliant and dedicated physicians. With all the things that we're talking about that drive down health care, spending more money on technology doesn't seem to be the answer. I certainly believe that it is part of the larger dialogue, but that we really ought to look um, also at the broader question. When you say, um, why have we added 30 years of life expectancy last century, for instance, 
Health and Human Services will estimates that only five of those have anything to do with allopathic medicine. So the great um, enemies in the last century of death and disease have been the public health people. It's been clean water and been other the public health measures, um, refrigeration, soap, um, not putting the outhouse too near the well. All of those things have added to the health of the population, um, as has prosperity. We know that as a society gets healthier, at least up to a point, it becomes healthier as you have more money to sort of deal with some of the public health issues. Now, that has sort of come back to haunt us because we now find the obesity figures and uh, the good life of cigarettes, alcohol, and food, uh, which is made possible by our prosperity, is <laughs> sort of coming back to haunt us and is now, in my mind, has become itself a public health threat. So what's the role of a healthcare system in fixing this problem in the U.S.? I believe when you ask that broader question, how do you keep a population healthy, that was a question that was asked in Japan after the Second World War. And their answer was that uh, jobs and uh, public health measures and education are the best way to keep a population healthy. So in Japan, as in a number of other countries, they stress getting people employed. Uh, the, one of the biggest things you can do for your health is to have a job and have a sense of purpose. And the higher you go on the education scale, the healthier people are generally. There's no guarantees, but there's generally factors like that. So when you look at that question, it's the question that's important, and the answers might vary from country to country. But I believe that the United States, we have to look also in addition to sort of the allopathic healthcare system, we certainly have to look at lifestyles, nutrition, uh, working conditions, environment, human biology, all, all of those things relate to the health of a population. You are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I'm speaking with Governor Richard Lamb, author and public policy advocate. So in the United States, what do you suggest we should be doing? Well, like in the past, when you ask, what do people die of? I believe that the real public policy question is, why do people die before their time? If you ask, what do people die of? It's cancer, heart disease, pulmonary, all those things that we know. But if you ask the question, why do people die before their time? Why aren't they able to live a full and normal life? then the answers are diet, uh, alcohol, and cigarettes. And so I believe that what we would do in the United States is we would uh, do more smoking cessation programs and more uh, diet awareness, nutrition awareness. I believe that we're on sort of a, an endless push the rock up the mountain, only to have it roll back on us if we just continue to put more and more money into the individual healthcare system. We have to, I believe, broaden that quest for health to include these population-related figures. So do we have to switch dollars from one to the other, or can we afford to do all these smoking cessation and nutrition programs in addition to what we're still doing with individual medicine? I believe we're going to have to confront that, that question, and I believe we have to do some substitute funding. We're growing at two and a half times the rate of inflation. That's not sustainable. And I believe that we have to sort of have a new moral vision in healthcare where you look at the health of the population 
And I believe the good news is we still will be able to do most things for most uh, people, but things like, oh, the left ventricle support systems that we spend so much money on and some of the drugs that will give us at a cost of $40,000 maybe six months of additional life with colon cancer. I mean, I believe that some of those things that I think have to be brought into question and instead of spending this phenomenal amount on a very few uh, limited number of people, we should make that money more available to look at the health of the population. And you're talking about from a public policy standpoint. So you wouldn't limit an individual's access to those treatments if they could afford it. You're just saying the government ought not to be giving those priorities in funding and should look at more public policy issues. I've looked at this question of two-level of health care delivery system. I've been to Sweden, which claims to have the most egalitarian health care system, and it's just very clear that people with money can buy better food, better housing, and better health care. So I believe that that should not be really a great part of the dialogue. We should try to give everybody a good, high level of basic health care And if people can buy their way out of the system, uh, just like can buy better cars, we have to accept it. So what I hear you saying is we ought to take the existing health care dollars that the government and private insurance payers are using right now, ought to give everybody a floor of insurance and include in those some public policy issues like smoking cessation and nutrition, and then let people who can afford it make more health care decisions for themselves. Well, you know... I do believe that. Um, That bites off an awful lot. Um, I believe that, for instance, the whole moral justification that underscored Medicare back in 1965 uh, has sort of changed, where now we have this real question of an aging society, and should the young people be paying for my health care because I'm over 65? I believe that we need sort of everything on the table and have a big dialogue But sure, I do believe that there is no moral justification anymore for a system that has sort of a government system for people over 65 and leaves an awful lot of other people out of the system. So do you think that in the future that government or other decision makers are going to be able to do something like this, or are we going to end up with one of those decisions where nobody's happy and no problem really gets solved? I believe that we're really coming into a time when we're living on the upper slopes of some awesome spending curves. And all you have to do is look at the federal budget and how much Medicare and Medicaid plus Social Security are going to cost us when we really start retiring the baby boomers in large numbers. And so the first baby boomers start drawing Social Security next year, and then in an avalanche they're going to hit us very hard. And when Medicare in the start of the 2020s Medicare just simply turns into an economic nightmare. And uh, I believe that we're not going to be able to avoid these questions, that public policy politicians love to avoid questions if they can, but there's rapidly approaching a time when these issues aren't going to go away and we're going to have to be addressed. Is this going to be a big issue in the upcoming election? I doubt it. I think that there's very little political gain right now in um, the health care system, but whoever we choose as president... Um, is not going to be able to run away from this system. So my guess would be that there will be some a lot of rhetoric about health care, but that it's not going to be a big issue because sort of no politician wants to grasp the implications of setting limits in health care. But I think that the next president, who's going to serve between 2009 and 2013, um, that by 2012, when the really the baby boomers start to retire in significant numbers, 
the federal budget just is going to face a series of questions that are going to be inescapable, uh, hard to avoid, impossible to avoid. And so the next president, I believe, is going to be a health care president, whether they, they think themselves of that, whether they like it or not. As physicians, we use every tool and piece of knowledge to keep our patients alive. As a nation, we use technology to continually provide more tools and more knowledge. As a keeper of the public trust, we need to understand the health and monetary implications of this system, and we may be running out of time. I want to thank my guest, Governor Richard Lamb, for helping us to understand these issues and for keeping the dialogue focused on what needs to be changed. I am attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.